I should open my own therapeutic school where it's about being the patient's enemy the whole time. Well, I well like that's, that's the like that's the model we have oh. from our old movies, right? Is that oh, the therapist true. is there that to is like true. Doing that tear you down, you. right? Yeah. yeah, like pick you right. apart, destroy this is your because life. You're projecting all this onto right. your mother and yada yada yada. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay. All right. So you're going to bring that back, Dedeker. <laughs> I'm bringing sexy back with yeah. the intense combative anger. Anyway. Therapist. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Multi Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about therapy. Should you go? What kind should you do? This is actually the first of a two-part episode where we're going to be going in-depth about all of this. It's something we talk a lot about on the show, but we haven't really gone into a lot of the specifics about it before. So in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on some of the things that can hold you back from going to therapy, as well as talking about the wide range of different types of therapy that there are, as well as some of our personal experiences with uh, different types of therapy. And then next week, we're going to be getting into uh, considerations for how to choose a therapist, uh, what type of therapy might be most effective for you, as well as some resources for going about finding things like non-monogamy supporting therapists or LGBTQ therapists or things like that. So we talk a lot about therapy on this podcast and we talk a lot about going to therapy. Like we tell all y'all out there to go to therapy, but full disclosure, I have not gone to therapy since I was in college. And when I was in college, I had kind of, I wouldn't say a traumatic experience with it, but I just recall like being treated by this man who was a therapy student and he was not particularly, uh, I guess he was a PhD student, but he wasn't very warm. He just kind of mm. sat there and listened to me and, you know, with his pen and paper and that was it. And I just would sit there and cry and cry and cry for the entire hour. And I think I went to like eight sessions or something because that was all that my university would pay for for free. So needless well, to say, would you say yes. I, after at the end of eight sessions of crying at a man with a pen and paper, uh-huh. and just like a <laughs> guy that was maybe, I don't know, perhaps like a few years older than I right. was at the time. Right. Truly. Do you feel yeah. like you got anything out of it? I mean, other than just the catharsis of crying. I I don't think that he told me to do anything in particular. Mm. I really think that it was just like catharsis of crying and, and just like telling someone what was going on, what has happened in your life. And it didn't feel particularly productive. And but, you know, I have I tell people on this podcast to go to therapy and I know that I should do it. My partner has been like, you should go. I go. You would love it. And my mom is like, you should go. It's great. And I'm I'm doing this episode. I, I researched this episode to try to help myself pull the trigger and Aww. actually go. So I'm sure that I'm not the only one out there who 
has these kind of thoughts and these feelings surrounding therapy. So I hope that this can help someone out there. Yeah, this kind of dilemma. Our listeners should know that Emily titled this episode, Should You, in parentheses, I, I. go to therapy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the answer is yes. <laughs> we all probably could could use something from it. But but yeah, so so let's uh, let's talk it out. Well, I, I, first of all, I will say that it sucks. I mean, I'm sure it's probably not like the direct fault of that PhD student because sounds like he was learning to. But but I feel like that's a, that's a common refrain that I hear from people who feel hesitant about going to therapy or going back to therapy is that is just like, yeah, this person just sat there while I vented and then nothing happened. Yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't seem very productive to the person who's doing the therapy. And maybe maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe that is ultimately what some people need. Um, But I felt like I wanted real concrete answers or help or something and maybe that's half the battle is even knowing why the heck you're going in the first place i think there's also something to be said for discovering that as you go i think that Mm. there can be this tendency to think of finding starting therapy as like i'm committed to now the next year i have to go to this therapist and i'm kind of stuck with whatever i've committed to instead of thinking of it maybe more like uh, interviewing someone for a job, like they're going to work mm. for you, essentially, or... I feel like you're really good at that, Jace. You've you've told me I to would. do that for... Well, it just like, even with, like, acting, uh, you know, managers or whatever that mm. I've had in the past, you're like, no, they work for you. <laughs> like, you should be interviewing them. And I'm like, no, I feel bad. Yeah, so, yeah Emily, I feel like over the course of the show... Uh, I mean, we've the three of us, I think, have helped each other grow in so many ways. But mm-hmm. I feel like seeing you step into more of your boss energy mm. is something that's really exciting to see. Yeah, <sighs> thank sure. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, I, can we can we yes. talk about some of the most common reasons why it is just inherently difficult for some people to feel motivated to go to therapy or seek out therapy? So we have this list of nine things. Maybe it'll expand from here. I feel like 10 is a good even number, but whatever. Okay, before we get to the end of it, maybe we can think of 10. Yes, exactly. So, okay, here's some common excuses, including many that I have used. And we're going to go down the list, and why don't I say the excuse, and then you two can kind of be... Be like, no, this is, there. here's the antidote to that or something. We'll see how it goes. Well, we can just discuss it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So a really common excuse and one that I have definitely used in the past is that it's too expensive. I don't have particularly sure. good insurance. So I, and I did one once upon a time look up like therapists that take my insurance and none of And I called quite a few and none of them were taking any new clients. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing is you're not wrong without excuse necessarily. It's, Mm -hmm. it's expensive. It is expensive. You know, I mean, and, and that's maybe kind of a blanket statement, but I'm just like, I feel, I feel pretty close to being like, yeah, this is just kind of objectively expensive for, I think the majority of our population, you know, Mm -hmm. if you don't have an insurance plan that can cover it. Of course, there's a lot of alternatives that you can, you can look into, you know, later in the episode, we're going to be talking about, you know, things like apps and things like that. You can look into group therapy, um, you know, you can look into therapists if they don't take your insurance, if they take reduced rates or if they do sliding scale, stuff like that. So there are options for sure. But yeah, it makes sense that that's often the initial prohibitive obstacle 
that prevents people from wanting to go to therapy. And I, I yeah. feel like I'm going to use this sort of analogy a lot in this episode, and, but I think the same thing can be said for a lot of different wellness-based things. Like if you think about something like massage, for example, that it's like, yeah, I would also argue massage is just objectively expensive to, to do sure. regularly. And, you know, same with you could say that about a lot of different things, like having a gym membership or going to yoga class or mm -hmm. buying supplements that you take. You know, there's like a lot of different sort of wellness things that do cost money. And so, yeah, the, there is a certain amount of just having to decide what's what's worth it to you and what are your priorities for how you spend your money. I will say that a lot of times if there's something that I've known I needed, like times when I'm like, gosh, I'm like really having a lot of pain and I really need to be having some kind of regular massage or physical therapy or something. Like I know that I need that and I just keep not doing it because it's expensive. Once I've finally been like, okay, I just need to do it and it's going to suck for a while while I'm paying this, often I find that that cost isn't as bad to pay as I thought it was, partly because it, I, I can tell that I'm getting a benefit from it, so it doesn't feel like I'm mm -hmm. wasting money. So I, I don't know. That's just something to throw out there as something to think about, I guess. It's like, yeah, yes, it costs money and it's more just about is that is that worth it? Is that wellness worth it right now? And I guess it's as so many things that I read said, it's an investment in yourself. And mm -hmm. that is a really important thing just in the long run, because maybe it can help you with things that may have come up even later on down in your life. So mm -hmm. yeah, perhaps it's a really good reason to, to start now as opposed to waiting to do it later or never doing it at all. Yeah, so. absolutely. Okay, uh, the next one is, I would rather talk to my friends and family about my problems, or to all you out there, dear listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather use a podcast yeah, to yeah. talk about everything that's going on. Well, and, I, and it's interesting, because I definitely have done that over the years, slash just have been like, well, I'm learning so much on this podcast by, you know, doing all the research that we're doing and, and learning stuff from you two, and... That should be enough, you know. What Emily, what what makes that what makes that one hard, if I could ask? That idea of reaching out to someone besides just your friends and your family. That's a great question. I'm not quite sure. And I, I think... can you know, we can tell that one really got you and yeah. I, that surprised me actually, and I was just curious. Maybe because I feel like I should have the fortitude to like deal with it on my own oh gosh wow you want to talk about that and the baggage <laughs> from that i can talk for hours about that sure um, all right i mean that actually... first episode of our five-part series on feeling <laughs> shame <laughs> about seeking therapy <laughs> oh boy yeah well I, I think that actually leads to uh one of the excuses that i wrote down that i've used myself is Sometimes you can come from a background, a family of origin or a culture or a friend group where no one really has experience of going to therapy or there's very much a narrative around like you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you bite the bullet and just do what you have to do. 
You yeah. know, I, I, I know and you and I have already talked at length about coming from moms who are kind of like that, you know, kind of the sense of just like, okay, just like nip your emotions in the bow. We got to just get shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, I know for me, that kept me out of seeking help for a really long time because it is, there is this strong narrative, like you should be strong enough. You should have the wherewithal to deal with all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. And I guess sometimes we don't is yeah. the point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also not like a failing either. Yeah. And that we don't need to, we shouldn't have to like put that on our friends and family it's like their responsibility to help you or fix you, like having an actual third party involvement in these types of things is is really beneficial because they or, don't necessarily have that sort of uh, care and love for you in the same way that your friends and family do. Or you may just not have friends and family that you trust enough to That's true. talk about what's really going on with you. Or, yeah. or, I mean, even if it's not that extreme, but it could be that you can't, like, you don't feel like your friends and family could be objective about something, you know? Sure. Maybe they yeah. really don't like your girlfriend. And so it's, like, hard to go to them for advice because you know that that's coloring how they're going to respond to you. And so you don't feel like you can get an objective sense of what's going on. Absolutely. I also... To like go back to the analogy of other types of wellness going on, it's like, you know, it's like when Dedeker has, uh, where her feet are like cramping or hurting, she can ask me like, Hey, could you do some rubbies tonight? And it's like, sure, you know, I can help with that, but I'm not a reflexologist. I'm not a physical therapist. I'm not like, I can help a little bit, but if she's like, really like every day I'm having trouble with this. The answer is to go to someone who is an expert in that, someone who is trained in it, who can make more educated recommendations, help you know what's going on. And, you know, the same, you could say the same thing about any sort of like physical ailment. Like we get Mm -hmm. that. Like, yes, your friends can help you walk off your twisted ankle, but they're not going to be able to like reset your broken bone in your leg. Right. (laughs) Sure. That's one of That's a really good point. Um, Or, or, you know, with something like a chiropractor, it's like, your friends could crack your back for you. But if you really want someone to get in there and like adjust your like jaw bones and neck bones, it's like, mm, maybe go to someone who's had some more training and insurance and stuff like that for, <laughs> for doing that type yeah. of thing. So Absolutely. I think there's that. And then also just, um, it's like, yeah, maybe your friends can help, but it's also tough to always be asking them to just in terms of putting, putting that extra, you know, like asking a lot more from them, I guess, of their emotional totally. energy. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, another one is I don't have enough time. Yeah. 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 It does take a time dedication, you know. I mean it depends on the kind of therapy that you're going to and what your reason is necessarily, but you know, it is the kind of thing where often you get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. And often that's that's investing time, you know, investing time and showing up. And so it is also the kind of thing where, yeah, you do have to kind of make that time and defend it as well. Yeah. 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 I feel like this, the, the not enough money and not enough time to me feel very similar, usually because I've used the, the two at the same time in the past when there have been times when I knew that therapy would help me and I just kept not doing it. Those are those are two of the big ones for me that was like, 
well, no one can argue with that. I just don't have time. I just don't have money. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, I think it's the same thing with, with money of like prioritizing and just deciding, okay, let me try this and trust that I'll get enough benefit out of this to be worth the time that I took to do it. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but maybe that would involve going to a few different therapists to, to find the right one for you or trying one for a little while or something. So I don't want to say like, oh, it's 100% going to like double your efficiency with the rest of your time after one session. <laughs> Not quite like that. It's the same as, you know, exercising or right getting massage, something like that. It'll take a little time, but if you do it for a while, you should notice a difference, like that it does improve the quality of your life so that that time becomes worth it. How about I feel awkward telling my problems to a complete stranger? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the therapeutic relationship is such a weird relationship when you think about it, because it's yeah. very much like, yeah, I've never met you before. Now let's dive right into yeah. <laughs> everything you feel vulnerable about or ashamed about or or your weaknesses or things like that. Um, yeah, it is weird. I, I think people who are used to going to therapy, who have like a longer background in it, it becomes less weird over time. But yeah, just the unknown and the newness of it can mm -hmm. keep a lot of people away for sure. Yeah, and when I think back to, like, sitting in that room with that <laughs> blonde-haired, you know, 25-year-old kid that was trying to, I don't know, help me out or whatever, it, it does, it felt awkward then, and mm. I don't know. Yeah, I will say of the different therapists I've gone to, there's somewhere I almost feel like I'm, I am having to, like, give a, a presentation about what it is that I think is going on and what I think Here's that I want and about my life, <laughs> right? I can see you doing that. It can sometimes feel that way. And I've had others where we just kind of like hit it off right away and connected and things would come up then in those discussions that I had not even anticipated. Like that I didn't even realize that was, I, I guess either that I didn't realize that that was a thought I was having or something that was going on or that it was something that I had no idea wasn't just a fact. It was actually just something that I thought and was kind of projecting onto the world. And I think this also goes back to the only talking to your friends and family is those people are very likely to share a lot of these same kind of worldviews with you. And while in some ways that can be helpful, you know, you have sort of a common language with each other. In other ways, it could make you totally blind to something that you just take for granted. Oh, yeah, everyone thinks this way. And that someone sure. who's a professional can go, in my experience, <laughs> there's this range of different ways people can think about it. And, you know, here's how that could affect you. So it's, it is, it is such a weird relationship, though. And also, like, where else in life do you have a relationship where you get 100% one-sided? Right, that the help is one-sided and that they're, like, legally obligated to do their best to help you and to protect your privacy. It's such a, that's such a strange, different Very relationship. Yeah. But, but I guess that the thing that makes it weird is maybe also its greatest strength. Mm. So what about, uh, what good is talking about my problems actually going to do in the long run? Yeah, I know yeah, people yeah. who well, go to therapy for decades, decades and decades and right. decades. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there's a couple things there to think about. One of them being that 
I do think it's a good thing that therapy in general is becoming more normalized and less stigmatized. That's great. You know, I do think that's something that good that has come out of our generation is, is that. Uh, however, I do think that a lot of us carry, I suppose, some assumptions about the therapeutic process that we've just osmos from our culture, from what mm. we see in movies, from what we see in TV shows. And the way that therapy is portrayed in movies and TV shows is very rarely accurate, <laughs> like very yeah. rarely accurate yeah. necessarily. Um, you know, and so I think sometimes people, I know I certainly did for a long time, just have an assumption of like, I know what therapy is already. And I know that it's probably not going to be helpful to me. I can sit oh. there and ask myself, how do you feel about that? You know, <laughs> just ad nauseum or the assumption that I'm going to be on a couch with a Freudian therapist who's going to ask me about my parents, you know. Um, and I, th I think that people often don't realize if they don't have any touch point to the therapeutic world is there's just this smorgasbord of different types of therapy you know, that you can try out and that you can experiment with. It's it's not all this kind of one size fits all. Just sit down and talk about your problems for a decade. And then mm. maybe we'll have a quote unquote breakthrough. And even that is controversial, actually, about is that a good thing to be in therapy for 10 years or is that a bad thing? I guess it kind of depends on the person and the type of therapy. Interesting. Yeah, and we're going to go through a little bit later in this episode a list of some common types of therapy as well as some of the different ones that we've gone to just to kind of give a sense of how big a range there is, like how different these different types of therapy can be. Because I think... Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> no <laughs> idea. <laughs> like, not only do we have this idea we've absorbed from our movies and our TV... But we also, like Emily's experience, and like the first time I went to therapy was also in college. Uh, actually, I guess I went when I was a young kid, too, when my parents were getting divorced. They had us go see a counselor a few times. I just remember mostly playing with the toys when I was there. But <laughs> Yeah, when my mom and dad were going through some stuff, I went as a really, really young person. Right. But yeah, but I also just like played with toys and stuff. Right. And See, that's had funny. someone observe me, kind <laughs> yeah, of. That's yeah. funny because I, I only recently learned that my mom told me that when my dad died, she she tried to get me to go to therapy and I just said no. And so she did. <laughs> she wow, stopped right. right there. Wow. Oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure it probably would have been the same experience if all I remember is playing with toys. Yeah. Right. They had the crash test dummy toys. Those are really cool. Oh, yeah. I was yeah, really, yeah. Like, really into like... those for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. But uh, what I was trying to say, though, is that I think even if you have gone to therapy once, that might even like further reinforce this. Oh, I know what that is. And that's not mm -hmm, what yes. I want. And I think that's why it's important to bring up that there is this pretty wide range of, of how this could look. Yeah. And this is one that I definitely struggle with as well. And, and it's not, I'm not trying to like put this out to the world in a negative way. It's more like, well, I should be grateful for my life and I shouldn't, you know, have to go to therapy because my life is really not that hard or whatever, but it's this, this question of like, well, only people who've been through really traumatic experiences who, or who have like really difficult times in their life or have, you know, big issues come up. Like those are the only people that really need to go to therapy. And because, you know, for all intents and purposes, really I'm doing fine. Mm. I shouldn't have to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, 
a product of just a long history of, of first of all, uh, mental health issues being really stigmatized totally. in general or mental health care being stigmatized. And mm-hmm. then we create this association of, well, someone has to be really messed up to go to therapy and I'm not that messed up. Um, it reminds me of, I think this was like a year and a half ago or so that I, for our patron group for the podcast, I ran like a trauma informed polyamory discussion yeah. group and leading up to the discussion group, like so many people reached out to me to be like, I really want to attend. This sounds really cool and sounds really helpful, but I don't know if I'm quote unquote traumatized enough to exactly, attend. Yeah. you know, I, and it, like, it sounds and like a joke, so, but it's not like that. That really is yeah. how you can feel. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, you know, I had to assure people I'm like, doesn't really matter. You know, if you feel like this could benefit you, then show up. No one's going to make you prove how traumatized you are or not, and no one's going to be putting you in a ranking system necessarily. Like, yeah, like with the last episode that we did talking about mm-hmm. capital T trauma versus little T, little trauma, t trauma, and I'm like, yeah. I don't, I guess <laughs> I've had things, I don't think that I've had anything that qualifies necessarily as big capital T t- trauma, so should I well, even, I mean, maybe. I, mean, I don't want to go off on a whole tangent on trauma, but yeah. just, to, just to put it in a nutshell, at least the school of uh, therapy that I come from, which is somatic experiencing therapy, uh, you know, the belief there is that, you know, trauma is very much in uh, how you, w- what your experience was, as opposed mm. to what the event itself was, you know, it's like how yeah. your nervous system coped with it versus what was actually happening, you know, because nervous systems react to things differently. And especially if things hit you at different stages in your development, it can hit you differently. So yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also something I've heard from a lot of people, particularly with couples therapy, is couples who go to a couples therapist when things are still pretty good. But it's like some things we kind of want to work out or we just want to be sure we're on a good track that that almost universally the reaction they get is that's awesome. I'm so Mm -hmm. glad because usually couples don't come until it's basically too late. Right. Yeah. It's like there's so much damage here. Right. If you think about, again, I'm going to use my physical wellness analogy because I think it's something we kind of get on a deeper, like a, our culture gets physical wellness sort of. Sure. In a way, a little more than we do with <laughs> mental wellness. But it's like if you, uh, right. If you sprained your ankle very badly or maybe broke it, you're not sure. It hurts a lot. It swelled and you just kind of were like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to keep walking on it. It's like only people with bad injuries go to doctors. So like this must not be that. And those bones can set wrong and you can end up, you know, having, uh, you know, inflammation for the rest of your life in those joints or mm-hmm. something. Or later you end up needing surgery to reset that thing. Like my brother had that in his finger once for it because it oh, broke wow. and didn't didn't get it fixed. He had to eventually later have surgery to like kind of take it all apart and put it back together. And so it's, it's like that. I think therapy's like that a lot too, where it's, yeah, I'm like, if you don't feel like you've had bad enough trauma or whatever to go to therapy, it's like, absolutely. Then if you think you could benefit from therapy going now, we'll also make it. So then if something happens later, you're already better equipped to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Would you would you agree with that, Dedeker, from your experience? Oh, definitely, definitely. I I think that um, I think you don't need to worry about being uh, 
like needing to prove that you should be there. Essentially, I think it's just the takeaway I want people to to have is is if your therapist is a good therapist, you're not going to feel like you need to prove to them that you're quote unquote messed up enough to be there. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I. How about? And this is probably something that a lot of people who listen to this show question and worry about and and think about when choosing a therapist, but that it's difficult to find the right person out there who will specifically help me with my needs or who specifically understands like my experience and things that I'm going through, or who, for example, isn't going to say that like non-monogamy is the root of all of my problems or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I've struggled yeah, we'll with talk this one about, before, for sure. Yeah, sure. We'll talk about that later in the episode because there's just a, so many things that you can filter for and look for when you're finding a therapist, such as, you know, are they going to understand my racial background? Are they going to mm-hmm. understand my cultural background? Are they going to understand my trauma? Are they going to understand my gender, my sexuality, my relationship status, things like that, and not judge me for that and not oppress or marginalize me in big or small ways, uh, in that way. And I would definitely encourage people uh, because something that can also happen is people can feel like, ah, oh, yeah, I've been to therapy before. It didn't help. This person totally didn't get it. They totally dismissed what I was going through or they judged me for this, that, or the other thing. And so there's just no way. And I just really encourage people to just not give up. You know, mm-hmm. there are so many therapists out there and so many just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. And yeah, you know, sometimes it takes a while to find the right fit and to find the person who offers that perfect combination of just like compassionate non-judgment. I might even, I might even just say like, and also don't, it's not about striving for perfection either. It's just finding someone that, that you get benefit from, you know, that the relationship feels safe enough, feels helpful enough and to not... Because I could, I could see that going the other way, too, where there's some people who feel like, well, now this is the only therapist I get to go to, and this is the only way it's going to go for me, versus every week, you know, going to someone else, being like, well, I don't know, it wasn't perfect yet. So maybe sure. somewhere in between those two is the, <laughs> the middle path, yeah. as we like to say on this show. Yeah. And the final two we talked about a little bit before, but the first one is that uh, there was traumatic experience going to therapy before you were potentially forced to go as like a child or a teenager. And that was really tough. Um, didn't go the way that you wanted it to, or you just like, didn't have good feelings surrounding going and being forced to go. Yeah. I, I run up against that a lot, uh, with some of my own clients is that sometimes, unfortunately, you could have been forced to go to therapy under really traumatic circumstances. So it was just like a super traumatic time as it was your parents divorcing or a parent going to jail or, you know, any number of traumatic or upsetting things that can happen. And that gets associated with being forced to go to therapy or even not even something that major. It could just be you were made to go to therapy just against your will because you were a child or a teen and you couldn't really consent to what was going on. And that can definitely leave a bad taste in your mouth around therapy. Yeah. So now we want to talk a little bit uh, about the different types of therapy ways. Those are as well as some things that you can do to help select the right therapist for you or the right counselor or social worker or whatever it is. We're going to talk about all those things a little bit more, but first we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show, keep this content free and available for everyone on the internet via their podcast machines. And we'll be back after that. 
For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. So there are a lot of different types of therapy, right? Uh, Emily, when you were looking up this episode, you said that on Psychology Today, they had a list of like 65 different types of therapy. Counted. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. And I think that in itself is good to know because it's freeing to say, wow, okay, I had one experience. There's 64 other types of experience I could have. (laughs) I think on the other hand, my reaction is that's overwhelming. I don't know which one I would pick. So there are some that are more more common than others or more well-known. But I also think just as you look into it and realize these are all different, you might hear about them and go, hmm, yeah, that something about that sounds interesting to me. I'm curious to try that. Uh, you know, this is everything from cognitive behavioral therapy, which is pretty hot right now, or music therapy, play therapy, animal-assisted therapy, drama therapy, that. yeah, <laughs> drama therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, Hakomi therapy, like there's What's that? so many modalities. Oh, we can't get bogged down in explaining every okay. single kind. There's so <laughs> just, many. Yeah, I don't know what Hakomi therapy is, but y'all look it up well, for let's, sure. Let's hit some of the, some of the big ones, though. These are yes. some of the, the five most common. Exactly. And thank you to the Zoe report. I was amazed that I found that on the Zoe report, but it was actually a good, like, comprehensive list. So, okay, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. This is kind of the one that I hear thrown out there a lot. And I thought that this, like, was all encompassing of, like, traditional talk therapy, but it totally isn't necessarily. Um, But it does focus on growing the patient's awareness of what is both inside and outside of their control. So you build cognitive awareness and an understanding of what your thoughts do to your mental and emotional state. Uh, And it can be really helpful for just about anyone looking to, like, manage stressful life situations. But it can also be helpful for those who have mental health disorders, such as eating disorders, depression, or PTSD. Yeah. And I I actually had a kind of therapy sort of similar to this, but he described it more as um, 
of uh, Skinnerian or from BF Skinner, his sort of approach, but it was very similar of like finding what's in your control and out of your control. And for me at the time, it was really helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one is dialectical behavior therapy. I like saying the word dialectical. Uh, this is DBT. And this is created for people who have extreme emotional responses to certain situations and focuses on centering the patient and allowing them to get back to their rational thoughts more quickly. Focuses on mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, uh, emotional regulation. It emphasizes essentially the psychosocial aspects of treatment. And so this is especially useful for people with things like borderline personality disorder or uh, other personality disorders or people who attempt suicide or things like that. And it's kind of described as like a collaborative form of therapy where the treatments are both one-on-one with a therapist and in group settings uh, to kind of really, because it's about that uh, socio-psychological thing of your interaction with other people. There's also trauma-focused therapy or trauma-informed therapy. Uh, so this is a whole group of therapies that are designed specifically for people who have had trauma, like we talked about capital T trauma, little t trauma, everything in between. So it can be used to treat a major single traumatic event or possibly complex overlapping traumatic events or multiple small events or things like there are some therapists who specialize even in things like uh, racial trauma, for instance, where you don't have to have a specific single traumatic event that happened, but you just have the trauma of you know, being born into the body a that you were. of oppression. And, yes. and a lifetime of marginalization, you know, um, that that's still considered trauma and ongoing trauma. Um, this group of therapies are used to help treat people who have PTSD or CPTSD, uh, you know, war veterans, sexual assault survivors. It can help bring closure to the traumatic event so that you can stop reliving it over and over again so that you can reduce your PTSD symptoms and the way it shows up in your life. So these are things like currently what's really hot right now is EMDR or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. There's also CPT or cognitive processing therapy and uh, PE or prolonged exposure. Uh, what I'm currently getting trained in right now is SE therapy or somatic experiencing therapy, which has some overlap with EMDR as well. And so ideally, if trauma specifically is something that you know that you want to work on or is very relevant in the stuff that you want to work on, looking for someone who is trained in one of those modalities, uh, certified in trauma treatments or has practice that specifically focuses on trauma therapy will probably be the most helpful. Then we have psychodynamic therapy, and this one comes from Freudian origins uh, and specifically tries to get to the roots of emotional suffering coming from our family of origin and how the past has shaped any challenges that we're suffering today. So this is from the American Psychological Association. They say psychodynamic therapy focuses on the psychological roots of emotional suffering. Its hallmarks are self-reflection and self-examination and the use of the relationship between therapist and patient as a window into problematic relationship patterns in the patient's life. Now, this is one that... Uh-huh. Lay on a couch. <laughs> you have to legally. Yeah, you have, to, you have, have to be on a couch, or they cannot do the practice. You have and, to. Yeah, the the doctor like walks around with a pen and paper, sits on a little poof next to you, or something. Yeah, and, like, has, a pipe. has to have a exactly. beard and a pipe for sure. All those things <laughs> yes. are required. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I mean this. This is one that uh, you know Freudian 
therapy was kind of what started a lot of therapy today. Uh, it's not as popular now, and there's a lot of other modalities that I would recommend first. However, some people do get a lot of benefit out of this type of therapy. Uh, so it's just, it's a good one to have on there since that is kind of, you know, the, 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 the ridge, original flavor. The <laughs> father of therapy. <laughs> Um, in this top five, there's also interpersonal therapy, which is sometimes related to what's known as relational psychotherapy. There's, of course, with all these things, there's nuances and someone out there who knows way more than we do is going to get angry about the way that we're describing it. So just sit down and have some patience with us. But with interpersonal therapy, uh, the doctor-patient relationship itself serves as a corrective experience for the client. So this can be really appropriate for people who have had challenging relationships with their parents or their friends or their romantic partners. It's also sometimes used to treat mood disorders like bipolar, major depressive disorder. Um, it's fairly relaxed and supportive. And ultimately, the goal of the treatment is to be the patient's ally. I mean, I think that applies to a lot of therapeutic <laughs> schools. Um, although maybe sh I should open my own therapeutic school where it's about being the patient's enemy the whole time. Well, I feel like that's, that's the, like, that's the model we have Whoa. from our old movies, right? Is that oh, the therapist true. is there that to is like you're doing that tear you down, you. right? Yeah. yeah, like pick you right. apart, destroy this is your because life. Because you're projecting all this onto right. your mother and yada yada yada. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Right. So you're That's gonna true. bring that back, Dedeker. <laughs> I'm bringing <laughs> sexy back with yeah. the intense combative thing. Right. Therapist. Yeah. <laughs> um, I... yeah. So so as far as personal experiences, uh, you know, I've gone to talk therapy a number of times. I'm in talk therapy right now, actually. Um, my very first therapeutic experience ever was talk therapy. Um, but that's different than CBT? Like, well, what's the... Di like, talk <laughs> therapy, is it really just like they sit there and you're talking and then they're like, hmm... <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, what do you... Uh, what do you think about now, that? What does that make you think about your mother? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, I I don't know. I the first time I was ever in therapy in my life was because I just needed I just needed somebody to tell me it was okay to break up with somebody. Yeah, that was literally the 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 first reason. I only saw this therapist for a handful of sessions, and so for me it was very goal oriented at that time. And I was like, okay, I did the breakup, and I'm feeling good, and then I was fine. And then I went back to therapy when I started having PTSD symptoms from the mm -hmm. abusive relationship. And I went to talk therapy, which I believe was CBD, CBT therapy at the time. C CBD therapy. Maybe things would have gone differently if I'd done CBD therapy yeah, first. But, yeah. uh, and I'll be honest, the therapy was helpful in the sense that it helped get my thoughts kind of in the right place, which is very CBT is literally about kind of retraining your thoughts to a certain mm -hmm. extent. But pretty much did nothing for my PTSD, especially the physical symptoms of my PTSD. It felt like everything from the neck down doesn't know it was in therapy, Yeah, you know, or, you know, cause that's still happening, even though my logical brain can understand things and can understand how I should be feeling about this, but I don't feel that way. So that was what led me to seek out a more trauma focused therapy. I ended up in somatic experiencing therapy and that was just like night and day of my experience. Like, Can you talk just, a little bit about what that is? Because I know it's been like so helpful for you. 
Yeah. So somatic experiencing, it's much, it's much, there's much less emphasis on sit down and talk and relive the whole terrible story to me. And then I'll tell you what I think and, and help you through it. You know, because for a lot of trauma survivors, it's like even just talking about the, through the whole story is re-traumatizing for some sure. people. And that's why talk therapy can both be too scary to go to and also sometimes not feel very effective for trauma survivors. Um, so somatic experiencing is much more of a body-based therapy, not necessarily that there's body work like being touched or things like that, but it's much more about what's going on in your nervous system and like the physical manifestations of your trauma and your PTSD and kind of working through that and renegotiating that through mm -hmm. body awareness, through um, visualization, through um, sometimes doing some movement and stuff like that. And it's you know, it's a psychodynamic process of kind of renegotiating trauma, essentially. I had an amazing, amazing experience with it. And of course, that's why I ended up, you know, applying to get into the training program. And now I'm on this three-year journey of doing the wow. training. Um, I can't say across the board that that's going to be everybody's experience, but anyone who comes to me talking about trauma, I'm, I'm very rah-rah for somatic experiencing. But, you know, things like EMDR also are fantastic as well. Next week, we're going to continue on talking about special considerations to think about when choosing therapy, how you can go about looking at therapists, what things are worth considering, as well as some resources for ways to make it more affordable or to find people who support non-monogamy or things like that. So we're excited to continue this conversation with you next week. Yeah, it's a big two-parter episode. We hope that you enjoyed this first part. Thank you all out there for allowing me to get a little vulnerable with you. Cry a little bit on your shoulder. I do very much appreciate it. Uh, so the bonus episode for this week, we are going to delve into acronyms? Little, little word, little, uh, little letter, letter game. Letter words. <laughs> letter words. No, like, uh, things like, uh, what does it mean when someone is an LCSW or an LCDC? Not an ACDC, but an LCDC. Uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. So we're going to talk about that when you see a bunch of letters next to someone's name and when you want to decide who to pick as a therapist. So we want to hear from you. Have you gone to therapy? How did you like it? Do you still do it now? What has been most effective for you? Do you have any tips about how I can go to therapy and like get over my little, uh, my little worries about it? So let us know. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Onan from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 